Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, offering up fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in our latest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And in this podcast series, we talk to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share their knowledge, their insight on how to catch more fish more often. And I think, though, the true goal is just to get you empowered with information and confidence so that you grab your family, you grab your friends, and you spend more time more often on the water. Uh, this episode is titled Inlet Fishing for Big Reds. I'm joined by Captain Chris Osmond of Fine Catch Fishing Charters out of Little River. We're going to be covering such topics as equipment, as locations, baits, boat positioning, and then what happens after the hookup. And we'll be introducing you to Chris here in just a minute. I'm joined as I am every week with my co-host, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. And hello, Billy. How's it going, Gary? It's going great. Good, man. Glad to hear it. Looking good? Looking sharp? Got your shirt on? Yeah, you know, I don't want to wear a t-shirt all the time. I want, this is, I don't know Chris that well, so I wanted to represent. Represent. I wanted to be respectful. I didn't want to wear one of those stretched out stained t-shirts. With the holes in it. With the holes in it. That's all right. Mine doesn't have holes because I own a t-shirt company, so I just get new ones whenever I want. Man, if only I knew someone that owned a t-shirt company, maybe I wouldn't wear such crappy stuff. Right? If I didn't know, if I knew somebody that was so cheap, maybe (laughs) you would wear nice stuff. I don't know. (laughs) What's happening, dude? Oh, man. I'm excited about this episode, talking about this big red drum. I'm pumped. It's the season. I am pumped. I am more pumped about the opportunity we have with Marine Warehouse to be our sponsor for this episode. Super excited about those guys. I got a little commercial from them, and we'll be right back. This is Preston with Marine Warehouse Center. We're your headquarters for Carolina Skiff, Sea Chaser, Paramarine, and Sailfish Boat. If you're looking for tons of features and value without compromise, come check out our inventory in person or check us out online. Nice looking sea chasers, man. Those are nice boats. There may be a, uh, I didn't get that image from our guest, but of an alligator in a sea chaser, I'm pretty sure. Was that his, we'll talk about that later. But it might come up later. It might come up, but I was pretty stoked when I saw it. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Man, you know, I was hanging out at Marine Warehouse Center the other day. Were you buying stuff or just trying, no, just to, get hang- my, trying to get my free boat? I was hanging out with Terrell. We were enjoying <laughs> a fresca and some Melba toast. <laughs> fresca. And Terrell was telling fish jokes. You want to hear one? Please. I would love it. I mean, Marine Warehouse Center, great at sales service parts. Very funny guys, too. All right. And great hosts. It was a delicious fresco. Melba <laughs> toast was crisp. Terrell's, one of Terrell's jokes. What do you call a fish with no eyes? I don't know. A fish. <laughs> All right. You got me. Where's my... Hold on a second. Where's my applause no, at? No, I don't I want any applause. sound effects. I, I don't need, want I any need sound some applause. Terrell. It was Terrell's joke. I'm just repeating oh, okay. Terrell's joke. So I shouldn't I'm applause. not that funny. Whatever. I'm applauding Terrell. Good job, Terrell. Good job. He's a funny guy. He's a funny. There's a funny one. What else are we talking about, Gary? Is that how to, it? How to watch, how to listen. Here we go. I am... Here we are. Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
and YouTube. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We are super excited to be growing that. Um, so go there, make sure you subscribe, uh, share it. There's always a link if you look in the description of the particular episode you're watching, so you can share it with all your friends. So if you really enjoyed it, make sure you pass that along. Uh, it really helps us out with the algorithm, Gary. And um, yeah, man, it's a good time. Good time on the YouTubes. It is. We're just trying to build that channel. Like I'm super pu- stoked. I don't mean to push it so much, but that's what we're into. I'm not a number watcher, but I, I have been watching those numbers. Yeah. I've Every day I just look at That's the first thing I do when I wake up. First thing. <laughs> And, and then I look at fish pictures. Would you like to see one? <laughs> yeah, show me a okay, fish picture. Okay, here we go. Here's a fish picture. Uh, here is Chuck Clay with a 42-inch red drum that fell for a live finger mullet. Uh, the big red was caught and released near Carolina Beach. Nice-looking fish there. Really Man, what a coincidence. We're talking about big reds. I know. Somehow that ended up. And the fish photo is a big red. I know. Huh. Life is funny. I wonder what happened. Terrell is funny and life is funny. <laughs> Dude, it's been funny. It's been a funny afternoon. I'm excited. Excited for this episode. Well, Billy, I know you've caught Big Red Drum, but I'm still expecting you to pay attention. You still could probably learn from Chris. And remember, at the end, I'm coming to you for Billy's best takeaway. I'm excited to learn something new, Gary. Let's I go. Be- I believe you are. All right. My guest today Captain Chris Osman of Fine Catch Fishing Charters out of Little River. We're going to talk about, what is it, inlet fishing for big reds. But Chris, welcome to the show. Before we get to the main feature, we always ask our guests to vet themselves. We ask them to defend them sitting in that chair and taking up potentially the next 40 minutes or so of our, of our guests' lives. Why should anyone listen to you about a red drum, let alone a big red drum? Well, I'll tell you this. Those red drum are probably one of the biggest species of fish that you can catch right in your backyard, right there in the inlet. And you don't have to go way offshore. Everyone wants to catch that big fish. Those red fish, I mean, pound for pound, are the strongest fighting fish in the inlet. Well, right on. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan. I've long been a fan of the big red drum, and I want to get into it. Um, but before we get into it, we do have a feature here called Two Questions. It's where I ask you two non-fishing-related questions, and then we move into the main feature. So here it is. Question number one. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Who, I'm playing off of fine catch fishing charters here. Who is a finer catch? Scarlett Johansson, Jessica Alba, or Jessica Lawrence? Oh. <sighs> My girlfriend's going to hate me, man. <laughs> Jessica Alba. I thought you were going to say your girlfriend's the finer catch. Uh, it wasn't an option. <laughs> Question number two. Who is the finer catch? Zach Efron, Chris Hemsworth, or Channing Tatum? <laughs> My girlfriend. My- <laughs> hey, all right. We got a winner. There you go. Man, a quick learner. I like a quick learner. I mean, I just didn't want to be sexist. I wasn't just going to ask you about female actors. I was going to ask you about male actors, see if you had an opinion. I'm a Zac Efron fan, just for the record. I mean, (laughs) okay, he's a good-looking dude, but he also does some really cool projects media-wise. I'm just having a rough day, man. (laughs) Soundboard complications. Thank God I'm editing this thing. Noted Zac Efron. (laughs) Let's talk Big Red Drum. And I think we were going to talk, I think in our pre-notes, we talked about equipment first. 
Yeah. So set me up. I want to go out and catch some of these big red drum. And again, you're at a little river, so we're we're not really targeting. We're not talking about fishing out of Oriental. I mean, there's certainly overlaps. We're not talking about Oriental Pamlico noose. You know, in October, these fish move down the beach, down Brunswick County beach line. And you're talking about Little River. That's your home turf. So let's talk about the equipment. If I want to target these October Big Reds that are coming down Brunswick County, set me up with equipment. Okay. So, yeah, like you said, there's multiple different ways of targeting these big drum. We don't have the big sound that a lot of those other drum go in up north. And uh, what we primarily do is we will fish around the inlets. And so it's going to be more current. So we need a little heavier tackle. So anytime I ever set anyone up with gear to catch the big drum, normally it's going to be about a 5,000 size reel using heavier braid, about 50 pound braid. Okay. Um, normally the leaders are going to be anywhere from 40, 50 pound fluorocarbon leaders. All right. Some heavier swivels. Um, normally I brought the rig in here and I'll show you all. I was telling Gary beforehand, I don't know, right here, right? Billy will guide you. Guide me, Billy. Oh, I'm going to guide you. Go north. <laughs> <laughs> so tackle-wise, when I'm fishing for these drum, like we were talking earlier, if you break up, I always get bored at the house, and I've taught my girlfriend how to tie these rigs too, but basically you're talking a nice heavy. If you bring that a little closer to your face, it'll focus in a little bit better there. There you go. Just so you can kind of. They can see a little bit better. There you go. Cool. All right. Yeah. There you go. So I use about a 150-pound swivel, a nice little bead, and floor a uh, 40-pound fluorocarbon to anywhere from a 2 to about a 3-ounce sinker. Uh, in the Little River area there, we got a lot of current moving through that inlet. Yeah. So some days to keep them down and not keep them up off the bottom too much, you got to try to change your weight. So I'll pre-tie about five or six rigs with like a two ounce or a three ounce weight on there just to be able to switch them out real quick. Okay. And when I put them in my bag, I put all those in one Ziploc bag and then I tie up my leaders with my circle hooks. Now I've been having trouble finding the circle hooks I like. I normally like a bigger circle hook for these bigger drum. Okay. Because we don't want them to swallow that circle hook. The smaller right. the circle hook, you end up gut hooking them a lot, and that's just not good. But I like like an eight to a nine knot circle hook. And one. What feet, size is that you're showing us today? This right here is a six knot. Okay. But a lot of times, depending on what size bait you're using, depends on the hook size too. If you're using a smaller bait, you might want to downsize your hook just a little bit. Okay. But using a bigger bait, you want to probably make it a little bit bigger. But eight is normally the, the way I normally go. But the, the real thing is when you tie these hooks, I always get the snelled hooks. And if you were to just tie a regular knot on the end of that, you'll miss a lot of fish, believe it or not. I mean, if that hook is snelled like that, you got to snell that hook. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the snell hookup ratio is better? Well, if you look at it, when you pull it, it turns in. So automatically when that fish grabs it, and it pulls on the line, it's already digging that circle back into the lip of that fish. Okay. And once you hook up, the not losing ratio, let's call it that, is a lot better with that snelled hook. It's going to keep tension pulling that hook inward to the fish and not just loose around it. All right, I got a couple of follow-up questions. 
on the weight, that line is what, like eight inches long? Is there a reason why you like it, the, the weight part, not the hook the part? Weight, I like it so it moves a little bit. But so not when, too much. Yeah. And why is that? Just so when that fish takes off with that bait, it's got a split second where he feels no resistance. So that fish will take it, not feel it. By the time eight seconds, a bull drum normally is swallowing that, that bait. Those fish want to get that bait in their mouth. And they want to get it back into those crushers right there and smush whatever they want to eat and then swallow it. So most of the time, that's all it takes for them to really get it in their mouth. And then that hook, you know, is that about the right leader length you like coming off of the weight? Yeah, normally what I'll end up doing is I'll go like this and go down past my elbow a little bit and cut it just like that, which ends up being probably about 18 to 24 inches. And so those Lupton rigs with the real short leader, why is it that you're using the long, what is it about that action that you like better than the, maybe the traditional short leader? With the shorter leader, I tend to end up hooking more stingrays off the bottom a lot of times. It'll give it a little bit of a lift off of the bottom. If it's right dead on the bottom, we have a lot of stingrays through there, and I feel like the hookup ratio on reds are a little bit better. Um, got it, man. And is fluoro important? or I, I, I believe it is. Some people use heavier mono, and you could probably get away with it, but the fluorocarbon is more abrasive than that mono, so I feel like I can use that leader more often and not have to switch it out as much. So it just for me, it's abrasion resistance that's why i'll use it so heavier tackle in part because of the tide about the water moving through and heavier tackle so that you're handling these fish expeditiously not yeah delaying the fight to s challenge the fish too much yeah well on the rods i end up using they're normally anywhere from like a heavier rod normally medium heavy if it's like a two to four pound class rod or i'll or two to four ounces, sorry, but um, or just a heavy rod. The rods I use for bull drum fishing, I'll use for like amberjack fishing and cobia fishing too, because around those inlets there, along with the stingrays and stuff down, there's a lot of sharks. And when these fish school in, they're all eating the same baits, and you get a distressed redfish and you're fighting them for like 20 minutes, those sharks sense that, and a lot of times those sharks will come up there. I've seen it many times where people bring up a head and they just couldn't get them up quick enough. And once you, it seems like when a shark eats one of those redfish, that bite just shuts off. They just, they, huh. they, they turn off and go to hide or something. All right. Well, man, let's go, let's transition to location. I mean, I think I'll, well, I should ask, I guess as a better host, I should say, if you have anything else about gear, equipment, let us know about that. Otherwise we'll move on to locations. That should be good. Okay. Um, what about locations? So location-wise, well, of course, we were saying the inlet there is a big, big area for Little River. Little River Inlet. I know a lot of other inlets, too, are very similar in style. I mean, you'll have the channel running out the inlet there, and then it might get a little shallower up on the sides. But um, for the most part, and around the ends there, there's these deep holes, just the way the current moves through, specifically in the Little River area there. And right by these channel markers, a lot of times there will be current eddies where the bait will get stirred up in these eddies right there. And if you can get right on the line of that channel where the eddy is, a lot of times those redfish will be in there just feeding on all the bait that gets tur turned up in there. And um, that's typically one of the better places to catch them. But in the fall when there's, I don't know, 50, 60 boats around the inlet and you can't really get a good spot, there's other 
areas you can actually go and find these redfish along the beaches too. So if you see, um, let's say for instance, you're out there and you're looking for a bait, you see a big pot of bait, man hanging, hanging there and they're flipping everywhere. You catch them, you throw those bait. If you follow those pods, especially if the bait's pushed up real heavy, there's something pushing them up. So a lot of times you can go through those pogey pods and pitch the baits back in there and actually catch those fish out of those pods from the inlet all the way down the beaches. So you don't have to deal with that boat traffic of, you know, sitting there at the inlet and fighting all the other boats around you. So is there a certain what when, uh, let's talk about the inlets first. So Little River has the rocks. Are you fishing any other inlets down Brunswick County Way, Little River Way, or is it, is it really when you're inlet fishing, you like being at Little River? I like the Little River Inlet there. I mean, I've gone through Tubbs Inlet, Lockwood Folly. I've gone through Shalode Inlet. But none of them have, like, the actual jetties to the point where it's not as big as Little River. I guess the next big inlet up there would probably be up at Southport, which I've talked to buddies. That they've done very well off those rocks up there, too. But um, I, I, I do like the Little River Inlet. So the rocks are create a good environment, you think? Yeah, I think it keeps it deeper through there. And if I mean, a lot of those other inlets get really shallow in some areas. I know those fish are up on those shoals too, because the bait will get up there. But Little River, just more possibility with that deeper water. I think you get more fish congested in that area. How deep is the water there at the end of the rocks? It's about 30 feet, 35 feet at high tide. Okay. So, I mean, it's a good bit of water right there. And are you positioning yourself like right on the rocks, right next to the rocks, all, you know, just finding different spots? Well, a lot of times I'll get right off to the edge of the channel right there where it starts to drop, or I'll go and kind of take the boat around and I'll look on my unit and I have a side scan unit on there. And a lot of times you can mark some of these fish and see the location where they're at prior to even anchoring up to actually see them. So sometimes they're on the back side of the marker, sometimes they're on the front side of the marker, sometimes they're right by the rocks, Sometimes they're, you know, in the middle of the channel where you got to watch out for the bigger boats coming through. But I noticed that the fish that you catch that are a little closer to the rocks are probably more of the local fish. They're not as much of the, the migrating fish, the big, big schools of the 40, 45 inchers. They're going to probably be more closer to that upper slot range to, you know, 30. Okay. And you can catch those fish pretty much, you know, throughout the summer too. But uh, the big ones are normally out a little further. All right. Now a follow-up question on I'm cruising the beach. So if the Little River Jetties is a madhouse, if there's just too many boats there and it just doesn't look inviting to you at all, you'll start cruising the beach and cruising the beach looking for bait. Yep. And is there a typical water depth that you like to at least start your search? I mean, the I know the bait will define where you go, yeah. but is there a certain zone you found tends to be the better zone? I mean... I've caught them as close as like the water is breaking and I need to pull the boat out. Okay. And, um, I just go down the beach looking for the pelicans first thing. And if I don't see the pelicans, it's telling me the bait's probably not up real well. So the fishing may not be as good, but, um, you can normally go down there and I'll start in about that 10 to 15 foot range. Okay. And then run the beach that way. Okay. Um, well, what about baits? Like we've been talking, this is bait fishing, right? This yep. is nothing artificial. So talk to me about baits. So not every day you can go out there and find those pogey pods right by the inlet where you can throw it and catch them and be good to go. So there's other baits that actually 
work pretty well for these big reds too. Normally, if I'm out fishing, I'll get these. You know, you'll catch bluefish out there a lot of times, and I'll cut them up and chunk them into small pieces. Probably about, I don't know, we'll call it like an 18-inch bluefish. I'll cut it into like four or five pieces, just big enough for that hook. And then another bait would be mullet is always a good bait too. And I always, for the big, big drum, I normally like using anywhere from a six to like nine inch mullet out there tends to be the best. Use those smaller ones in the bluefish and Spanish and they'll just, you know, half them half the time. But um, other than the bluefish and mullet and the pogies, a lot of times, and a lot of people don't use them, but um, ladyfish is a real good bait too. Anything real oily and that puts off a lot of scent, those redfish are almost like catfish. I mean, they're smelling stuff off the bottom and they're just looking for a meal. And I think a lot of time it's all scent driven. There have been times where we'll find live bait and they won't eat it. And you just cut the tails off those pogies and get that blood trail going in the water. You might end up catching a couple of sharks, but the reds will probably find it a little faster. All right, man, this, this is good information. So I'm going to try to unpack some of it. So of the list so far, I got pogies, blues, mullet, um, ladyfish. If you could pick your one bait, like your go-to bait, it would be probably the pogies, probably the pogies. Yep. And are you putting a live pogey out? You putting a dead pogey out, putting both out? What are you doing? So I like to put them out live to start off. If it's not working, I'll cut the tails on them. If that's not working and let's say I can't find bait, I, I freeze a bunch throughout the summertime just so I have them and have that availability. You don't want to go out there and not be able to find bait, not be able to catch them. So if I have them frozen, what I'll do is I'll chunk them up and cut them into nice little chunk pieces just like the bluefish and toss them down on the bottom. Hold up the hand and show me like the size of the chunks you're going to use. About that wide. Okay. Yeah. And it also depends how big the bait is too. I mean, if it's small poke, you probably put it on their hole. Is there a certain way you like to hook that chunk bait? Like through the top, like through the skin, like I don't like through the meat? Go and... once through, right through the thickest part of it. Okay. Um, you like to start with live bait. I think you address this because the live bait will avoid some of the undesirables that the live bait more specifically targets the big red. Is that what I heard or am I making that up? Yeah. I mean, if you get into that dead chunk bait, a lot of times, I mean, there's a lot of stingrays down there. You probably end up catching more of those or the sharks, you know, your blues and stuff like that will probably get in there. But uh, I like starting off with a live bait and just kind of playing it from there. And you'll uh, you'll put out how many baits? Normally... I like to put three because okay. you get four out there. It seems to be, it's a lot. It also depends how many people I have on the boat too. Mm -hmm. If I have two people, I'll normally still put like three rods out. But uh, three is like the, the magic number for me. So blues, mullet, pogies, and even ladyfish. Pogies gets the nod, but really anything oily, anything was sent. Start live, cut later if need be. Yep. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be fresh. You're saying your frozen baits will get will get bites too. They will. I mean, if you're in a pinch, I mean, they'll get bites. I mean, the fresher the bait is probably better, but you can't, you know, beggars can't be choosers sometimes out there. So let's go then. I mean, we're, it seems like we're about to hook a fish. Let's go to the, you know, in the notes we said boat positioning. So I guess first we'll talk about boat positioning at the inlet, and then we'll talk about boat positioning when we find a, 
when we're cruising the beach and we find a big nervous looking pot of bait. Yeah. So on the inlet, a lot of times, I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of people that they would just drift. So everyone would like basically drift down the inlet there and drift down that channel, down the rocks and everyone would hook up. And then, you know, now everyone's got these trolling motors. So everyone's on their iPilot anchored up and everyone's trying to get in that good spot right there and positioning their boat just right. So, you know, I've seen it before where you got a boat, you know, maybe 30 feet away from you and you're killing them and they can't catch one for any, they couldn't catch a cold if, you know, it was middle of winter. But um, positioning could be huge out there. And I like anchoring up on them. Once I find them and using like a unit and kind of seeing them on your side scan or knowing the depth change right there, I like position it right around that area there. On the depth change. Yeah, on the depth change. Or uh, like I said, if, I, if I'm marking them off of it, I'm just going to kind of move around. And with the trolling motors, it's nice that you can kind of just cruise it around and move maybe, you know, 15 feet, 10 feet this way. I mean, you see people doing the shuffle a lot of times on the inlet there where there might be two bo- or two boats on one side and like 20 on another side. And one of those two boats will anchor up. And then you'll see like six boats shift over and then you see more people hook up over here and then they'll shift back over there. So it's just one of those things where anchoring can be really good. And then it's nice to be able to move with those trolling motors versus even anchoring with a real anchor too. And you're using not an anchor. You're using an iPilot. You're using something like that. Yes. Um, I mean, if the bite's hot on the other side, I want to be able to pull that trolling motor up and move as fast as I can. But a lot of sometimes when that current's ripping, those trolling motors can't hold. I don't care what kind of trolling yeah. motor you have; it just you got to throw an anchor. And then at that point, everyone's at the same advantage though, because everyone's throwing an anchor. Gotcha. Or you can still drift. If the drifting, I mean, you just use a little heavier weight, and you can still catch those fish that way. So, are you ever drifting? Is that ever a technique you like to do? There's certain occasions where I may drift. Um, a lot of times, if the current is moving a lot real fast and i want to i don't i can't anchor up or i don't feel like throwing the anchor drifting is a good way to kind of find the fish too so you're going up and down the rocks there you're drifting i mean there might be one congested area and you're just going to drift over you'll find them that way a little bit easier especially if you don't have like a side unit or like a jeep like sonar that everyone else has drifting kind of lets you cover more ground just like if you're like flounder fishing or something like that and covering a big stretch of water it just kind of eliminates a lot of the dead zone for you. And the other drifting part would be, and I'm probably jumping ahead here, but when you get away from the inlet there and you find those pods of baits. So a lot of times I'll drift through those pods of baits or I'll drift along with them depending on which way they're moving a lot of times too. That way the baits aren't just, they're not moving too fast. And if they're sitting in one place, then a lot of times... The bait's always moving. It's not going to sit there too much. Well, that's where this conversation, I was getting ready to segue into boat positioning for the bait schools. And so you're, you're not running through the middle of them. You're not even getting too close to them. You're like trying to get to in front of where they're moving. You're trying to just drift along with them. Give me a little bit more. I mean, so what I end up doing a lot of times is I'll pull up, I'll see them kind of coast up to them with the motor. And then I'll just throw in a neutral as I'm drifting up kind of along the side of them. And then what we'll do is we'll get close enough to where we can throw the baits into the pods there and try to get it so that we'll drift like along with those baits. Now, those redfish are going to be either underneath them or they're going to be slightly behind them. 
a lot of times. So even once the pod has moved on and you're just a little bit behind them, let them drift an extra, like, you know, five minutes or so, just because you never know. Those reds are chasing. They're, they're, they're following up behind them. You got some stragglers back there, kind of not up with the whole school. So if I'm on your boat and we find a bait pod and it looks kind of nervous, it's pushed up to the top, and you get me in range, you want me to bomb the middle of the pod. You want my bait to drop right through the center. I want you to get right in there and drop it down. Exactly. Okay. And then it might even come out the backside, you know, like we're going to leave it there and follow along. But let you, it drift and let it sink to the bottom. All right. Well, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about how you guide your guests when there's a hookup. You know, anything we need to know. So all of a sudden, that rod is bent over. And drag is screaming. We've got a bit what we believe to be a big red. It's not acting like a skate. What do you tell your guys? What do you tell the people on your boat? So the first thing I always tell them, because when you hook a redfish, it, they peel drag. I tell them when the drag stops, start reeling. Because a lot of times you'll get people and they'll, hit, they'll get very excited. They'll grab the rod and they'll just start cranking. All right. And when that drag's going, you're not doing anything but tiring yourself out while that drag's going out. Not only that, but you twist the line up. And a lot of guides will tell you that they hate when that happens, but it happens. Mm-hmm. And um, I just tell them to take their time, get the rod in a good position where they can slowly start to pump that fish in with the gear and the drag I use. A lot of times, once they're done making that first drag or that run, they're, they're pretty tired for the most part. And you could start just kind of pumping them in. And I always tell people, as you're lifting that rod, you want to come up about 20 degrees. Short little pumps is all you need. Real slow. Up, reel down. Up, reel down. Because a lot of people never fought a fish that big before. I mean, you catch a 40, 45-inch drum, and it's probably the biggest fish of their life. What do you think the advantage is of the short pumps? Like, why that technique? I think you're gaining on them a little quicker, and it's not, for a rod standpoint, that's where the max strength is on that. If you get up too high, you're, you're endangering that rod of breaking the tip or doing I mean, it, it's putting more stress on you and the rod, putting it up that high, just lifting it up. The shorter pumps are just a, a stronger way of bringing them in. And I believe you get them in faster that way. And the good thing about getting them in fast like that is normally when you do go to release and let that fish go, it's normally more successful release that way. Well, let's talk about the release. Now, in a perfect world, we wouldn't bring that any big red drum into the boat for a photo in a perfect world, but we're not in, we're far from a perfect world. And so people want to take that photo. That's part of the allure. That's part of it. Um, when we're, when you're releasing the fish, any techniques for that? Like how do we best get that fish swimming away healthy? So first of all, when you get them up to the boat, I would definitely suggest netting that fish. I see a lot of guys grab them by the gills, grab them by the, the, the mouth and pull them in the boat that way. I think the best way to do it is to actually net them and cradle them into the boat. Once you get them in the boat, lay them down on the ground. And normally what I'll tell my customers is to sit down in a spot they feel comfortable and I will unhook the fish and I'll bring the fish over to them and show them how to hold it up. If it's a big enough fish, I tell them to hug it like it's a stuffed animal okay. and just kind of cradle it up and just you know take the picture that way. But some other people, if it's smaller, I'll have boga grips that we can lift the fish and hold it up and support the back half of the weight of that fish also. So you never want to hold that fish straight up and down. The, the jaw and the gills are all connected right there. And if you were to hold them up on the bottom there, it's not those fish, 
aren't meant to support that kind of weight. Right. And it could endanger that fish and could kill that fish when you do release them. So what about releasing? What about putting it back in the water? So as soon, I mean, try to take the picture as quick as possible, maybe get a, le- a measurement of the fish if they want to know how big it is. And then as soon as we're done that, I'll grab that fish, sit them back into the water. And as long as I don't see any sharks around, I'll normally baby that fish until he literally kicks off or bites my thumb and like try to hold on to him and I'll either grab him by the mouth or I'll hold him by the tail and rock him back and forth okay. until the point where they can actually forcefully release themselves out of my hand. A lot of times people will just let them go and all of a sudden I've seen them go belly up. You really want to make sure that they take off when you do let them go because there's all them sharks around there and I mean, that fish is tired, so it's an easy target. Man, I think we're at the end of my notes, so this is the time where I say, what else is there to share about this species, about this technique, something I haven't set you up for to say? Is there anything else that you're like, oh, yeah, here's something else good to know? Um, it's just really when you're out there full drum fit, I mean, you really never know what you're going to catch out there in those jetties too. It's that's the cool thing about fishing for those big fish. And I mean, I've seen cobia caught out there, you know, you could hook a big shark. It's a cool area to fish. It's a great way of, like I said before, catching a monster fish without having to go way offshore. What's the prime season to catch a big red off of the little river jetties or off the Brunswick County beaches? So normally it runs anywhere from early to mid September through October towards the end of October. So, um, right now, I mean, it's, it's starting roughly right through now. This is like the very beginning of it. So it should be a good season. And this is where I ask, uh, fine catch charters. What else are you doing through the year? So what are you doing? What are you doing through the winter? What are you doing in the spring? What are you doing in the summer? <sighs> so besides take a nice vacation from this long summer that we've had. All right. I, uh, when we get into the fall, that's prime trout season. Okay. I love getting into that trout bite. Last year, we had an excellent trout bite and um, catching them on artificials just about into January, really. But it, it was amazing. The tr- I mean, we were having a couple hundred fish, 150 fish days catching trout this winter. And um, you get your red fish and a few flounder mixed in there with it, too. Okay. And you don't have to worry about sweating to death out there. You know, the cooler temperature. I love wearing a sweatshirt and having shorts. That's my thing. And um, I, I hate sweating. And I've been doing it all summer long. What about the springtime? Springtime, when it starts getting like, you, I mean, we catch some good trout into the spring. Mm-hmm. And um, my big game in the springtime is getting out there on those reefs. So as soon as I start seeing those jelly balls start moving around, you see those spade fish start moving in on the reef. Your cobia start moving in. You got king mackerel right on the beach. The bait shows up. That's my, I, I mean, I love that season. The springtime when the cobia and spade fish go out there, that's that's a blast. You can anchor up. and I mean, we had the spade fish this past spring so thick that you could have reached down and grabbed them out of the water. Along with cobia, like, it was awesome. And then summer, what's the go-to summer? Summer, I mean... Depending on the season, you know, flounder, I love catching flounder. Um, it's a real go-to for me in the summertime. Um, you'll catch, I've caught good redfish too. Depending on the season, they move from being back up in the creeks to in the grass and some of the main channels. Um, I love targeting them. Um, let's see. 
and your black drum during the summertime too. Chris, thank you very much, man. I think that brings our podcast, this episode of our podcast to an end. It's been fun talking big reds with you. I'm glad I could come and uh, enjoy it with you, man. Yeah, man. It's good. This is a good episode. Don't you think, Billy? It was awesome, man. Learned a lot. Did you learn a lot? Oh, yeah. Or are you over here playing on your phone? Well, a little bit of both. A little bit of Tetris, a little bit of, you know, whatever. (laughs) Looking up Zac Efron pictures, you know, whatever. <laughs> he's a he's a fine looking man. <laughs> Just being jealous. He's a fine catch. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. What's the best takeaway? If you've learned something, um, man, you know what? I would say it's probably like I've been on a few of these big red drum trips, and um, you know, I hadn't really seen anybody drifting at all, like. I mean, just sitting for hours and soaking bait. And I'm like, that's one of my least favorite things about those big red drum trips is because I'm always like, oh, so people do something else besides sit there and crack open cold ones, which is not bad. I mean, I'm thankful to be on the water because I don't have a boat, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) nobody would have guessed that. Would you guys? Did you guys know that? No, nobody knew that. So leave a comment if you're looking to get rid of a boat. <laughs> but no, man, I think that's a, I think that's a cool thing. You know, if I had a boat, I would be drifting around that <laughs> inlet. Dude, I am struggling this episode, Gary. I'm I'm struggling. You're but doing great, great, man. You're doing here great. Here we go. <laughs> Wrap us up. What else do we have? Oh, here we go. I just want to remind you how to watch, how to listen really quickly. Um, so here is our list. If you're watching, if you're listening, you know how to do that. But um, if not, check us out on Spotify. Uh, Spotify. Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Google Play, uh, really anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And then also be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and be, you know, be, share that share that with a, f- a fishing friend um we we're doing some cool stuff just did our first live event um on facebook so that was pretty cool that was a fun so hopefully we can line up some more i want more fun of those. stuff yeah man it's gonna be fun i'm really good at the live stuff <laughs> you're so good you're so good <laughs> all right man i think that's it dude unless that's you have it. anything else i'm not we're out all right see you guys later